Hey guys, Maria Menounos here. Before your favorite AfterBuzz TV after show begins, I'm so excited to tell you that my new cookbook is out. It's called The Every Girl's Guide to Cooking. It's the quickest, fastest, easiest, most amazing recipes for kitchen newbies and chefs alike. Please check out MariaMenounos.com for more info. Buzz you later. You're tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Hey, hey, hey. Little music there. From the Prophet, welcome, welcome, welcome. So we're here with the AfterBuzz uh, TV recap of The Prophet. I'm Chris Howard, and we're gonna spend a little time here together talking about episode four as well as episode five uh, and gleaning what we can in terms of business lessons from the whole mix. Let me turn off my phone. See, I've got people calling for their business lessons. In any case, uh, you can reach me, by the way, at at Chris Howard Live on Twitter. You can find me there. You can also find me at legendarylivingdaily.com, uh, and that's for tips, motivation, business tips, things like that, as well as legendarylivingtv.com for my YouTube channel. So let's rock and roll. Uh, first episode that we're looking at is season three, episode four, and this was Standard Burger, was the business that he, uh, that Marcus Lemonis went into to turn around. And when he got there, you know, we always know that Marcus is going to be looking for three things, right? The people, the process, and the product. Standard Burger was a specialty uh, burger. Uh, it wasn't a franchise. It was just a single, single location specialty burger place. And uh, I've been to a few of a few of these different burger places in Las Vegas. They have one where they have like lobster burgers, which are just insane, uh, <laughs> insanely good, too good to be true. Uh, and then they have a mommy burger, and they actually visited a mommy burger in this episode uh, because Marcus wanted to let the guy. So there were five. Uh, friends that launched this uh, this burger joint, he wanted to let them see what a real uh, quality burger place would uh, would uh, be like, and, and to get it from that perspective. So, first thing, Marcus comes into the business. What he was expecting, and this is often the case, what he was expecting to find was not uh, what was actually behind the scenes when he when he when he arrived uh, at the place. So the burgers, first of all, he uh, ordered uh, three different burgers, and he said, let me taste these things. And his, what he was looking for in the burgers, he wanted to get a sample of the product. And from his perspective, uh, he looked at the, at the burgers, and he thought, you know, in a specialty burger place, you want to have the best burgers on the block. These things have to really rock. Uh, but unfortunately, they didn't meet up to his expectations. So already you've got a product that doesn't meet the expectation of either Marcus or, in his perspective, uh, the, the uh, end user, the, the people that are going to show up and purchase the burgers in the first place. The business is doing all right, uh, but one of the things he notices right away is a people problem. And this, you know, whenever you look at investment opportunities or you look inside a business and see if things are uh, operating in the way that they should be, 
the people are the one of the first things that people look at. Uh, investors will say that they look for uh, a good team that can pull off a good idea. And minus the good team, you're missing the key ingredient. And we'll use uh, food metaphors here today. So you'd be missing the key ingredient to, to really make a, a masterpiece. And the team uh, seemed to be in this episode the thing that was missing the most. So you had five uh, five guys once again uh, that launched this business together, and they were there was not just a rift; it was a, a chasm uh, in terms of their relationships. So as Marcus began to uh, talk to various people, it became really clear that there was one person that wasn't there anymore. So one guy had left the mix, his name was Fuji, and he was the only guy that knew anything about the restaurant business. And it took, uh, it took a lot of discovery, and you had, to be an, uh, you had to be an archeologist in this case, to get all the, to gather the information for the guys to finally realize that there was, at one time, a guy who actually knew something about the restaurant business, and his uh, his brother was still working in the business, but there was a mutual decision to uh, cut to cut ties. And so Marcus said that he would come in, and he offered them a deal. The deal that he offered them uh, for Standard Burger, and this is in Staten Island, by the way, New York. He offered one hundred and thirty thousand dollars for thirty percent of the company, but it was contingent upon they're bringing Fuji back into the business. So Fuji, and this has happened more than once in the episodes that we've seen with Marcus, where there's a business partner that left that had all the, you know, that had all the mechanics of the business in their head, and he wanted them back. And sure enough, they wanted Fuji, uh, he wanted Fuji back because Fuji was the only person that knew anything about the restaurant business. It's interesting. We had two episodes back to back, episode four and five, that were both uh, food based or restaurant based businesses. And Marcus really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan because uh, he, he really proved his mettle and especially in this first one where he was able to break down uh, all of the costs uh, that the cost structures and what should be present inside the business, the inner workings of a restaurant business, uh, and what the projections were. He, he, he knew it backwards and forwards, which uh, gave me a greater appreciation for him in terms of being a, a turnaround expert for various types of businesses. Because, you know, to, to uh, be an expert in one type of business, that's something. But to be able to look at any type of business and know the inner workings and inner mechanics, and I'm sure he's got to do some research on some of these, uh, but, but to to really have the inner mechanics right there, I mean, he'll spit out the numbers, you see it. Uh, so it's the, while he could be fed information, you know, like if you watch a Dr. Phil show or something and they go and they research all the ways that... Uh, you know, the, Dr. Phil can use in a specific episode on weight loss or something like that. And he's able to bring all that information to the table. In these shows, it appears to me that Marcus has a, a depth of uh, knowledge that goes 10 times deeper uh, than what we're seeing. And I, I really like that. I appreciate that. He's able to sum up the business rather quickly. Uh, but that could be thought of as a different situational awareness than most people would have. I always tell people if you know Donald Trump walks down a city street in New York and he looks at a building, does he see something different than the person who's serving coffee on the street corner would see if they looked at the same building? And the answer is absolutely. 
Uh, he may see the opportunity. He's able to sum things up differently because he has a different life experience, and therefore he can see things that other people can't see. Warren Buffett, if he looks at the books of a company, he can see things that you or I wouldn't see. He has a different trained situational awareness in that, in that case that would allow him to have a finer-tuned, intuitive uh, response to how he would deal with the business. Would he take it on as an investment, to yes or no? Um, if you read the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, the same guy who wrote The, uh, the Turning Point and uh, Outliers, one of the things that Malcolm Gladwell says in Blink is that all intuitions are not created equal. And this is, uh, it's a function, complete, it's a complete function of situational awareness. Yeah. So a, a metaphor I'll use sometimes is if, uh, you know, you were to look at this room and look at this recording studio, you might see that there's a computer and here we got the microphone, right? And uh, here's a pen. But if you were a trained martial artist or a trained warrior, you might look over here and say, okay, here's a barricade, here's a weapon, <laughs> right? So you might see things differently. And Marcus, uh, like I say, really proved his mettle to me in episode four when they started to break down what the costs really should be. So number one, we know that there's a problem with the product. The burgers didn't taste like a specialty or boutique burger should taste from his estimation. Secondly, uh, there was a problem with the people. So this rift between the five guys was tearing everything apart. I mean, it's amazing uh, that they were able to survive as long as they did with the deep levels of problems that they had. And it's amazing to me that he took it on as an investment, quite frankly. His, uh, you know, he's, he's gone over and beyond in, in, in several of these episodes. Most investors uh, would walk away at the door, but he also gets the opportunity to prove his worth and prove that he's able to really inject some value into these businesses. And it's his specialty, right? His specialty is the turnaround. It's the broken business that's not doing so well, which if he solves the people, people, uh, people problems, people, people, for the peoples, um, if he solves the people problems and he solves the process problems and he solves the issues with the product, he can then turn that business around. Whereas uh, Warren Buffett, for example, if he's going to go into a business, he wants a business that's already working well and turning a profit uh, and it's got a certain return and it's got management that wants to stay in the business and he wants to buy that business uh, and, and the owner of the business then becomes a, an employee of the business and they get a different kind of wealth. They get a cash out. But Warren Buffett has the tried, true, sure thing. He says, I don't look for the seven-foot-tall poles I can jump over. I look for the one-foot-high poles that I can step over. So a different type of investment philosophy, as would be the philosophy of a Richard Branson or a Donald Trump. Donald Trump looks for luxury properties where there's been a temporary downturn, where the, uh, where the owner's in trouble. And he turns them into luxury properties with the Trump name on them. So each a different style of investment. And, and Marcus has his own style. And he's really, really good at what he does. So as we look at it, we, uh, we got the people problem. We got the, the problem with the product. And there's also a process uh, problem from the perspective of they've got a limited number of seats in front of their restaurant. That's number one. Uh, I, let's see. How many seats did they have? They had... 
uh, I think it was 25 to start, but it was a small number of chairs outside, so the seating area, and they would turn over three times a day with an average purchase price of $10. I'm doing this from memory. I can't read my own notes. <laughs> so they do that with an average purchase price of $10. What Marcus saw through immediately was number one, we had to get Fuji back because he was the guy that knew the burgers. He was the uh, burger connoisseur. He was the guy, uh, he was the chef. He was the guy that put the magic in the burgers and knew the restaurant business. That was number one. So he brought Fuji back to the table, but then what happened was that that revealed some of the other problems that they had. And some of the major problems that they had were the people issues between Fuji and, and everybody else. Uh, and Fuji was the biggest expression of the mental unrest that was there. Uh, it was while they had put in place, if you saw the episode, if you haven't, go back and watch it, right? But they put in place video cameras all over the place basically to watch Fuji. Uh, and they were trying to, there, so there were certain partners that were attempting to micromanage Fuji. And it was frustrating for him. The best scene in the entire episode was when Marcus came in and he said, the first thing we're going to do, if I'm going to put my money in, he says, is we're going to get rid of these. And he rips the, uh, rips the cameras out of the walls. And he, let, he, he ripped every camera out except for the one over the cash register. And his point was that if you're going to monitor something from a security perspective, if you're monitoring so that nobody's able to steal from the till, uh, that's one thing. But attempting to watch all the actions of one guy who was basically the only guy that was there all the time uh, was uh, weird, quite frankly. There's, there's, uh, there was no reason, there was no rhyme or reason to it, and it really irked Fuji as well and was one of the things that led to the, the breakup. So Fuji comes back in. They get rid of the security cameras watching his every move, which is good. Uh, they also bring him in as an equity partner, uh, which is a play that Marcus will make oftentimes. Once again, this is a, you know, do you bring somebody in as an equity partner? Do you not bring somebody in as a, an equity partner that's working the business and is, you know, building the business with their sweat, their blood, their tears, different philosophies. Warren Buffett says, if you want to be a, a partner in business with me, he said, then you've got to be invested in it. Why should you get some of the upside without having the downside? Right? If you're not risking and willing to risk yourself and risk your own money, why should you be a partner in the business? So he'll give them a bonus, and then it's up to them if they want to purchase stock with it. Right? Whereas if you look at a Microsoft, when Microsoft launched, there were you know, everybody was given stock, and we had, we had all these millionaires in the beginning of Microsoft as it launched, but, and that was a good reward for participation. Um, with, uh, you know, depending on what type of a company you're running or what it is that you're looking to build, there's an argument that can be made for uh, giving stock, uh, for allowing people to purchase stock, or for, uh, you know, like Richard Branson, he'll give 10% uh, to the person owning, uh, running the company for him so that uh, they'll have that entrepreneurial zeal and they'll go out and they'll run it as if it was their own business because now they're an owner inside that business. All different strategies. Anyone can work. Marcus likes to reward people that are the lifeblood of the business, uh, whether they put the initial capital in or had the initial idea. If somebody's really the working cog in the engine, 
uh, he'll come in and, you know, quite frankly, that can that can just stand to get the employees in Marcus's court as he's coming in and taking charge. Um, so that can work toward his benefit because he gets to be the white knight in that uh, in that case as well. Um, OK. And by the way, these are all these aren't the opinions of After Buzz TV. These are the opinions of Chris Howard. So <laughs> are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of After Buzz TV or its owners or principals. Thank you. You had that all queued up. That was beautiful. <laughs> So, uh, so we bring we we get Fuji back in the mix. We got the team back together, and they're they're not quite operating on firing on all cylinders. There's arguments they got to work through and stuff. Marcus has infinite patience for these, uh, and I'll tell you what I didn't come into this thinking that I was going to do the profit and be uh, you know the profit for the profit, but uh, I'm really really impressed at the amount of patience that he shows because it's more than I think I would show. He's got infinite patience. He works his way through the people issues, and uh, he brings people back together. There was an explosion. There was an eruption in this episode where one of the partners got in Marcus's face. He says, "Don't you do that again on TV? Uh, don't you? Don't you uh, have us argue on TV? That's unacceptable." And Marcus says, "Don't talk to me like that. Right? It's I came here for you. I came here to help you." And he did, you know, he comes from the right place in his heart. There's, it's a money deal for him, for sure. He, he started off at 130000 Somewhere in the, during the episode, he mentions that he, he wound up putting a total of $400,000 into the business. Uh, we don't know the behind the scenes on that, or at least I don't at this point. If you know the behind the scenes on that and want to uh, shout it out at me, you can, tw you can tweet at me. You can uh, post it under the video. Let me know. Uh, but I, I don't believe that it was listed any place giving uh, what was given up for the rest of the $400,000. Did they have to throw more equity in the, into the mix? Uh, did Marcus uh, take a, a larger percentage of the business because he was a 30% uh, owner in the beginning? He also required uh, for the deal to go through that each of the business owners put another 15 grand into the business. Smart move on his part. He wanted them to have more skin in the game and recommit, reaffirm their commitment to growing this thing together. Uh, not just uh, he, he wanted to make sure they weren't just in a place where they're looking for somebody to come and save the day and put an extra 130 grand in their pocket. Uh, and, and not have to have, not be there anymore for it, right? Not be committed uh, to the mix. Um, I think having the commitment of all the players, especially if you got five players like that on board um, who aren't showing up every day, there's only one or two that are really spending their time there, uh, that commitment's an important thing to get. So bottom, bottom line, Marcus ended up uh, renovating the whole place. He liked the concept. I think the food industry really appeals to him in terms of investments. Uh, I think it's a, a good idea to stay within one circle of competence from an investing standpoint. And there's certain businesses that really appeal uh, to Marcus here, and this is certainly one of them. And so uh, w one of the other big glaring problems with this business was that they had 50% food costs. 50% food costs. Uh, now, this is something where Marcus went in and I got schooled in terms of the restaurant business, which is nice. I like to get schooled. And hopefully uh, we all get schooled as we're watching both The Profit as well as the after shows, right? So <clears throat> what Marcus says is that typically the food cost should be no more than 20%. Um, otherwise, the margins are going to be too small to, to run a profitable business. So they're way over cost uh, in terms of 
you know, in terms of having any kind of a healthy margin at that point. So once he gets Fuji back on board, they clean up the place as you know is always uh, you know often the case with Marcus. Uh, and this place needed some cleaning up. They had trash everywhere, and there was water that was coming in and flooding in from the backs, and the trash was literally floating out back, and the the stench was coming into the restaurant. And this is supposed to be a boutique specialty uh, burger place, and it's pretty disgusting. So they go in there, they clean that out. Uh, they get Fuji back to making burgers, and Fuji turns out to be pretty good. So he's turning out burgers, and he's, uh, he knows, he's, he says, we'll put a little pepper in there, and we'll uh, put some brown sugar in so it'll balance each other out. So Fuji's got a little magic to his burgers. So we got the product that we're repairing. We've got the experience, the customer experience that we're repairing. Right? We've got the relationships that we're repairing. And now the, the critical piece here is managing that bottom line. How, did, how does he get them into the black? And when he looks at this, this is the impressive part. And this is where we got to know our numbers, right? If you're launching a business, thinking of launching a business, have a partner in a business, have a friend in a business, you want to coach your children to launch their own businesses. There's over 245,000 new businesses being launched every single month in the U.S. alone, and that's according to Entrepreneur Magazine. So more and more people are looking to launch their own businesses, but uh, traditional education isn't really adequately preparing people, so they go to shows like The Profit. They come to watch the AfterBuzz show. That's why it's likely why you're here to learn the things that can really make a difference for you while being entertained at the same time. Yeah. So uh, you know whether you're taking this information in for yourself or you're going to share it with somebody you love, you're in the right place, right? So prices, 20 percent. Uh, he wants he wants to lower the food cost from 50 percent to 20 percent, but he wants to produce a better product at the same time. So they've got to go to school and do, you know, find out how do, how do they actually lower the food cost while producing a better product. One of the things that they do is they go to different uh, places where they can shop for the meats and the different types of uh, products that they're going to sell. The other thing that they do is this Amami burger. They go over there to have a real boutique burger experience and they see that right away the prices are much higher. So they were pricing their burgers based on gut feel of what the market would bear rather than basing them on the food costs and making sure that the food costs were low enough. So at the end of the day, they, incre they increased the quality of the product, raised the, food, uh, raised the price of a burger so that it would make the food costs fall at 25%, so almost that 20% range. And then they brought in other uh, aspects of the business or what they did was they put a greater accent on other aspects of the business that would make it more profitable because the margin at the end of the day on the burgers wasn't that great. But if you look at the margin, and this is where Marcus impressed me, that if you look at the margin on fries, for example, or where you could, the total cost with the packaging might be 50 cents, but you could sell it for $5. Now you're talking about some serious margin. So the margin that was made in this business and typically in these types of, uh, and this is a boutique, it's a, we could, we, I wouldn't throw it into the fast food realm, but it's a boutique burger, but in fast food as well, the margin is really made on the fries, it's made on the shakes, right? And the, these, uh, this burger place, Standard Burger, had an exceptional shake, right? I'm spending most of my time on Standard Burger. We'll spend a little time on episode five here as well, but... Um, 
it's an, they had a uh, red forest, uh, you know, the, if you've ever had red forest cake or uh, is it red velvet, that's it, red velvet. So they had a red velvet shake and they were the only people on Staten Island with this uh, red velvet shake. So exceptional shakes, people really liked them. And one of the things that Marcus did was he uh, talked to some of the, the people that were going into the restaurant and he found that what they weren't impressed with, uh, this is before Fuji came back, was the burgers as much as the shakes. They really, really loved the shakes. So they had a winner with the shakes. He was surprised because in a boutique burger place, you want people saying they love the burgers. But we solved that now with Fuji. So the shakes had higher margin. The fries had higher margin. So the goal was now to get people to take the fries and the shake with every burger purchase. So uh, previous to Marcus's appearance, the burgers accounted for about 70% of the sales that occurred uh, at uh, Standard Burger. After Marcus was able to make an imprint on the business in this episode, they w looked to lower that so that the burgers were only 50% of the average purchase and then fries and shakes and other things would make up for it. They put in an ice cream bar. They put in baked potatoes, which you can, which cost virtually nothing and you, they, you can have a high uh, markup on a baked potato with all the accoutrements and stuff like that. Uh, so they they made it a, a a unique dining experience, but placed a greater emphasis on the foods that would provide for a greater margin, and would in the at the end of the day make them far more profitable. Nice turnaround. So high five on that, Marcus. Uh, uh, really really nice turnaround, and with uh, ideas and thoughts that uh, you know go beyond that of the average bear. And when I say that. Hey, am I aging myself to say uh, make a comment like that? <laughs> I don't think the producers probably have no idea. What's he talking about? <laughs> hey, boo-boo. But uh, in any case, uh, beautiful, beautiful turnaround. I really uh, appreciated what went into that. Um, we're going to skip over to episode five, and we're going to look at fuel foods. So another food business. And why I, what this, this business really appealed to me right from the outset because just recently – uh, I was over here in Redondo Beach. Uh, there's a restaurant that's down there, and it used to be, uh, it's somehow affiliated with Gold's Gym down there. I'm uh, looking to remember the, the name that it used to have. It'll come to me. Uh, but now they've turned it into a, a restaurant much in the, the same vein as this restaurant or this uh, food preparation company that Marcus went to check out next called Fuel Foods. So this restaurant uh, down here in Redondo Beach, they have all these packaged foods. And what I really liked about them was that they're, they're packaged, they're in plastic, they're sealed, uh, but they've got meals that are weighed out with the caloric intake on each one. So you got a 300 calorie meal, a 500 calorie meal. And so they're all right in a target range that for weight loss, is a great target range. And so, and they've got microwaves there where you go in, you pick it off the counter, you look at your food, you put it in the microwave, you heat it up and it's ready to go. And you know that you're hitting right in the range if you're looking to eat within a 1200 calorie diet, for example, or a 1500 calorie diet, which is usually the, the realm where most people will play their, uh, their weight loss goals or their fitness if they're really looking to, to get lean. Uh, of course, you always have to find and get make sure you get a doctor to uh, verify dietary changes. Don't take that from me um, or from AfterBuzz. These aren't the views of AfterBuzz. But most people <laughs> will fall in, in that kind of a range, yeah, uh, if they're looking to, to really lean up. So I love this idea 
that type of a business, I think there's a, a huge, huge room for that right now. Because if you look at what's the competition, you've got things like Weight Watchers, okay, where they have pre uh, prearranged meals and, and prepackaged foods. You've got the, uh, you know, I used to order the Zone Diet, where they would uh, package. You get a, a little carry case that's filled with ice, and they'd have the meals were prepackaged. And you'd have three meals a day. I'm sure that they're still out there someplace doing it. So there is competition out there for it. What I have yet to see was like this little restaurant that I saw, which reminded me of what happened in episode five. So the little restaurant that I saw here in Redondo Beach, it's all out there for you to see. So you walk in and you'd think you were walking into a, uh, I thought I was walking into a restaurant at the time. Uh, it used to be called Rocky Cola Cafe. Yes, I knew it would come to me, right? But I thought I was walking into ro- what was Rocky Cola Cafe and what I was expected to still be a cafe. But here they have all these foods that are there so you can purchase it, go home and cook it, or you can have it right there on the spot and it saves you going to McDonald's or it saves you going to Burger King down the street. Um, and if McDonald's or Burger King are sponsoring us right now, um, eat there too. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, uh, just a little Burger King joke. All right. Um, so I like the lean foods. I like that type of an idea. Fuel foods was all about prepackaged fuel or uh, prepackaged fuel and foods. The same thing, right? Uh, here's the big problem that Marcus saw right off the bat, and it was Eric, the owner. Eric had a temperament and an attitude that could be quite abrasive with people. Uh, And he had uh, really strong ideas. And business owners oftentimes have strong ideas for how they want their business to be, and it's their brand, and it's their baby, and and we get that. Although Eric had not just that, he also had an abruptness about him and a brusqueness about him. And, uh, you know, he looked like uh, if you didn't take his idea, he wanted to to kick your ass or something. So it was like a roughness, right? A little rough around the edges. Uh, Nice guy. Nice guy. He really came across as being nice, but, uh, you know, uh, you wouldn't want to upset him if you were working for him. So. Uh, also one of the other things that Marcus noticed was the design within the location. It looked like, uh, it was very much from Eric's heart and not matching the target market. And I think here was the big disconnect that Marcus saw. They didn't, they didn't say it quite this way, but there was a disconnect between the owner of the business and the ideal customer of the business, the target market. And Marcus used a number of different methods to help them make that connection and align things more directly with the target market. Because ultimately, the consumer is not going to do things for your reasons. They're going to do things for their reasons. They're going to buy for their reasons. They had one person that was uh, there, uh, and she was basically a testimonial for how powerful uh, you know, eating a good diet that was uh, measured out and fuel foods uh, how powerful that could be. She lost 150 pounds eating these prepackaged meals that were made by Eric's mother. And uh, she was, you know, she played a big role in that. Uh, and she had lost 150 pounds, great testimonial. And Eric uh, also uh, bragged that he had, uh, in a, in a, he wasn't really a braggart about it, but he shared that he had a lot of, he received all the time uh, testimonials from people saying that they had lost 40 pounds or 50 pounds or 100 pounds, right? Uh, and so he was getting good results from it, but the packaging was not packaged for this woman that just lost 150 pounds. 
it was packaged for a rough macho uh, guy that you know was a meathead that hung out at the gym, and it had uh, you know big block letters that you'd expect to you know they kind of pound and make an impact in the consciousness, and it's all rugged and it, so. They had to go through a complete redesign. They ended up doing a focus group. And I'm going to wrap up here right now because uh, we got just a couple of minutes, but I want to get to the point. They ended up doing a focus group, which was a great idea because it allowed Eric to see things through other people's eyes, which he wasn't really talented at. He wasn't the king of empathy. Let's put it that way. And so letting people try the foods and say, you know what, these foods taste bland. They don't taste good. Um, or And some of them did. Some of them tasted really good. Others tasted bland. Some of them, the presentation was terrible. And Marcus made the point that if you're in the food industry, you've got two things. You've got uh, the, the taste and the presentation. And those things are critical in the, in the food industry. And uh, so those were things that they had to clean up. But they could do that by, get, by listening to the people on the ground, listening to the end users, de- determining who that target market really was, and it wasn't the meatheads like him necessarily, like Eric. Eric said that men stayed with the product longer, but he also proved to be a little bit of, uh, a little chauvinistic. And women watching would say a lot chauvinistic. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I won't beat him up too much. Um, he's liable to come after me. Anyway, uh, at the end of the day, they were able to take a look at aligning the target market with the product, but... They, the deal ended up falling out because Marcus wanted 51% control. He wanted total control. He was going to throw some money in that would pay off debt and other things. There were previous investors. It turned out to be a bit of a mess from an investment perspective. He, Marcus didn't know there were previous investors prior to coming in. Uh, it turns out that there were quite a few of them. Uh, Eric had raised $1.2 million in capital prior to Marcus coming in. And all the other investors would have to agree to having their shares diluted in the company if Marcus was going to come in and take 51%. So in other words, if they had 10% ownership, it was going to drop to about 4.2 for every 10% that they, that they owned of that company. Uh, this we see uh, time and time again when somebody goes out looking for investment money. If they have previous investors that are into the mix, it complicates things, and it did in this case. And I think something that complicated things also was Eric's rigid holding on to what was going to happen. And with that, we're going to wrap this issue uh, or this episode, and we'll see you next week for episodes six and seven. Uh, Chris Howard here once again for AfterBuzz TV. You can find us, uh, download the podcast at iTunes for sure, so it's pushed to you, so you get it, whether you like it or not. Um, And also, you can uh, find me at Chris Howard Live, uh, tweet at me, let me know your thoughts, as well as uh, legendarylivingdaily.com and legendarylivingtv.com, over and out. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later! The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.